0: All right good morning once again from Fremont E Free. We are back. It's another Monday morning. We are diving into Acts chapter 11 this morning, Acts 11, 19 to 30, the church at Antioch. So uh, Jim, 24 hours removed from Acts 11. Our normal pattern is just to kind of start by by asking what is it that stuck out to you the most? So I'll start by asking you that question and then I'll have some thoughts on my own. but what, what was it that stuck out to you the most as you were reading through this passage and thinking about the church in Antioch?
1: Right. I mean, I think
0: the two main things in this passage are
1: the church of Antioch itself and and Barnabas, right? And so one of my thoughts about Barnabas was the idea of, yeah, he is this encourager, right? And that's what his name means. But I also thought about the fact that like, not only is Barnabas an encourager, but he seems to be the encourager of the outsider,
0: Hmm.
1: you know, like Antioch, you know, so here's this church, you know, um, these gentiles right and and they are trusting in christ and who goes to them barnabas you know who is it that brought saul to the apostles barnabas right you know who's gonna you know who's gonna stand up for john mark a little bit later on here after he abandoned the, the the team right right Barnabas right like Barnabas is like not only is he an encourager but he's an encourager to the people that probably really really needed encouragement yeah. or really needed someone to stand with them or really needed someone to come alongside them and and I think maybe like just reflecting on these things that Barnabas does is like wow he comes along people that don't really have anybody else coming alongside them. And I think that was what was really like hit me is like, who am I encouraging? Am I encouraging people that everybody else likes to encourage? Right. Or am I encouraging people that like, wow, these are people that really need encouragement that maybe I don't know how much encouragement they're getting. Um, And so that was something that was really like, even as we were talking in our gospel community group last night, that was something that I was just working through and thinking about like, who is it? that I encourage and maybe uh, starting to think a little more deeply about who that should be and what that should look like.
0: That's good. I mean, it does seem like Barnabas has a knack for unearthing some hidden gems, right? Like the the people that maybe others now, you know, I don't think he's encouraging those. Like, again, this isn't, Insincere praise or flattery, right? Like he genuinely sees the work of God and encourages them in that. And so we're talking about people that God is genuinely at work in, right? Um, but maybe those that others would neglect. And so there is something to be said for Barnabas kind of being an encourager of the, the hidden gem, right? right? The the outcast, right. been Cast to the side, right? And to
1: think that like Barnabas is like this supporting character, right? Like he's not like he's not the star. But yet think about what he did, you know, that he's the one that encouraged Saul, like, you know, and propelled Saul to become Paul and all the things that he does. Right. And even thinking about like, you know, John Mark is the guy that ends up with Peter, right, who ends up helping Peter write. His epistles and, you know, more than likely could have been the one that, you know, through wrote, you know, the gospel of Mark, like he propelled other people to do great things. And yet he's like this guy kind of maybe a little bit more in the background, like maybe he had this role that he was really comfortable with. Right. Like, I don't have to be the star. I'm just going to be the encourager that propels people to become. Hmm the stars, you know, and I think that's really good for me to hear too. It's like, be happy with the role that you're in and just embrace that and, and just thrive in that place.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So maybe, maybe speak a little bit more into that and just the idea of like, what, what does it look like to be a Barnabas today? Like, how do you, how do you think, obviously we're looking at Barnabas, Barnabas in the context of the first century church in Antioch and, there's some things that we can learn from Barnabas that might be helpful for us in our current context. So like, what what do you think it looks like to be a Barnabas in, it, we'll just put it in our context specifically at Fremont Free in 2022. How, how can we be more Barnabas? Like, do you think?
1: Right. Well, I think it involves a little bit of community, right? I mean, you got to be involved in people's lives. Sure. Um, and I think that you also see this idea that Barnabas was an initiator, Right. Like he goes to Antioch, he goes and finds Saul, you know, he goes and gets John Mark, like he goes after these guys. And mm-hmm. it's not like he's waiting for someone to say, Oh, would you like some encouragement? Let me give it to you. You know, like he's intentional and in going and finding who is it that, that I need to, to, uh, be in community with and be involved in their lives. And I think so. That's, I think that's the call for us, right? Is to say, okay, who do you look around and who do you see that you think this is a person that's probably, you know, uh, younger than you, um, maybe not quite as far along in their spiritual journey that you could say, Hey, I really want to help come alongside this person. And to, and then just be in their lives, right. That you're going to spend time with them, meet with them regularly, be in a discipleship group with them, you know, have lunch with them on a regular basis, you know, really. And, and, and to do so to say, you know, how can I help you grow in Christ? How can I, let's, let's, let's not just get together and talk about the Huskers and, you know, whatever, let's get together and talk about how can I encourage you to grow in the
0: gospel and, 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 and grow in your walk with Christ. Yeah. I do think there's a bit of a mindset to it too. In verse twenty-three, uh, that first phrase in verse twenty-three, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. I, I think there's um, like a mindset. Are you are you on the lookout for evidences of grace, or are you more attuned to areas of weakness? Um, I, I think that. And again, this is somewhat I was trying to get at yesterday that in a social media world that we live in, I think we are much more aware of people's areas of weaknesses than we are evidences of grace. That's and true. I think we we tend to see the things that are wrong with people rather than seeing the work that God's doing in them. And, you know, again, there, there's a place for being able to call a spade a spade and, and to be able to say, hey, this is a legitimate weakness. But you and I were even having a conversation this morning about how in the the church, it seems like... On social media, it seems like the the American church is just always fighting with each other about stuff that right. rather than being aware of of evidences of grace or or giving the charitable response, it seems that we're just always attacking each other. Right. And and so I do wonder if some of it is we just don't have the same mindset to see the grace of God. And 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 rather than and you know, first Corinthians thirteen talks about just that idea of of kind of thinking the best or assuming the best. Like now, I'm not talking about naivety here. Like I understand you know that there's a need to to not be naive. I, I get that, but I I just think in general we are not quick to extend grace, and we're not quick to see grace in others. We're quick to mm-hmm. see their their problems and what they're bad at, rather than what God's doing in them. And I, I wonder if that's some of why Barnabas was able to unearth these hidden gems because he saw the grace of God at work in ways that others probably saw just weaknesses. Like you know even even the split with John Mark, right? Um, I think we would say, well you know, Paul had these issues with John Mark. Um, and maybe Barnabas saw something in John Mark that Paul just didn't. And, you know, obviously Paul had lots of great strengths. Um, or, you know, it would be hard-pressed to find someone more courageous than Paul, for example. But maybe one of his areas of weaknesses, he just wasn't as quick to see evidences of grace as Barnabas was. And so I I do think there's, there's something to be said for a mindset, like just even asking the question, am I more aware of, of areas of grace or am I more more aware of areas of weakness? Like where, where is on the, on the spectrum, where do I tend to fall? And, and I do wonder for a lot of us, especially given kind of the environment that we live in, if we tend to fall more in there, let's be aware of areas of weakness as opposed to seeing evidences of grace.
1: Right. Say, where do you see the potential? Where do you see the spirit stirring? You know, even though it may be small, right? Right. But that's where it begins, right? It begins in small stirrings, and that what you want to do is to come alongside that and help encourage that and spur that on to grow into bigger things, right? So, yeah, to look for where do you see the potential? Where do you see God working?
0: Where do you see Him beginning to stir in someone's life? Yeah. You know, I think the thing that I thought the most about probably yesterday is, is this I, I thought a lot about like the fact that they were first called Christians. And I I think that this, you have to assume that it's because they're talking about Christ. I don't know how else you could explain they would get that nickname, Christian. Um, Because that's, you know, it's easy for us to think, well, you know, in, in our sc- scenario, like, that's the cultural background, so just being labeled as a Christian is because you go to church, but that's not a nickname that they'd ever had before, right? Like, and so to be given the nickname meaning follower of Christ or belonging to Christ, and I, I do think there's good reason to believe it might have been a derisive name, that they were kind of mocking them, oh, here comes those Christians, right? The ones who are always talking about the Christ, like... I think that's entirely possible, given what we even know about the way cultural culture worked back then, and the type of nickname. Like, there's other evidences in history about the same time period where they would give nicknames to groups of people that were kind of derisive in nature. Right. But the fact that it was Christian, I it was convicting for me, if I'm honest. Like, I, I think we end up getting so distracted by so many things, and, and I, instead of putting it in the we, let me put it in the I. I get so distracted by so many different things, and I get so caught up in this or that, that I don't know that Christ is, I just don't know if I would have get that nickname if I were living in Antioch today. I don't know if they knew nothing about me. Let's assume they didn't know as a pastor. Let's assume they didn't know any background about me. They just met me and followed me around. I don't know if that's the nickname they would give me. And right. that, that was convicting for me. I, I want to be more about Christ and I want to be speaking more about Christ to the point that people would say, well, that's the only thing you could associate him with. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's convicting for me too. to think about like, you know, I'm that guy that likes
1: star Wars and superhero movies. Like, is that what I'm known more for than that guy that loves to follow Jesus? You know? And so I ask those questions and that can kind of concern me a little bit that I hope that I am known more for my love of the things of the Lord than I am for those other things that I enjoy. Right.
0: Yeah. And I think in particular, I, I think about that with my kids, um, you know, most people that I see at church, I guess most people in the context of our church family see me preaching. Right. And right. so they I, know we're pastors. I think they would say, sure. well, yeah, he's a Christian. Right. right. Like, yep. But my kids, like they know, they know the types of things that I do when I don't have anything else to do. Sure. And they know what I, you know, what my hobbies are and they know what I'm doing in my spare time. And right. so, you know, if, again, if we were removed all of the, like, Prior knowledge they had that I'm a pastor that I say I'm a Christian that we do all this. like would they honestly say my dad is most passionate about this like and you know i i think there's there's reason to ask the question like would that be the case because i i think that is like when I think about the church in Antioch, I think that that is convicting that that's the nickname they would get because that's what they were most passionate about right right yeah that's good the other the other thing that I didn't get a chance to talk about yesterday um that I thought was I do I do like um, verse 20. So verse 20 says this, But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Anax spoke to Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So the reason why I like that and why I was encouraged by it is you have these anonymous dudes who mm-hmm. no one will ever know their name. Men of um, Cyprus, right? Men, yeah, some of them. Men of Cyprus and Cyrene. Right. So, you know, Barnabas rightfully gets some run in this passage and we say, okay, yeah, that's Barnabas. Like he's, he's a good model for us. Like, but then you just have these guys that no one even knows their name. Right. But the hand of the Lord is with them. Right. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord because of them. Right. Like now ultimately we say because of the Lord, we understand that. But there, there is something to be said for, it's okay if no one ever knows your name. Like maybe in some cases you will be Barnabas and people look back and be like, man, he was, what a, he was full of faith in the Holy Spirit. What a great guy, right? Like I love that description of Barnabas. And and maybe, maybe when they look back on us, like that will happen. But maybe we'll just be these men of Cyprus and Cyrene who don't even get named, but yet the Lord is with them. And so I think there right. is something encouraging about just realizing it doesn't it doesn't matter if other people don't know your name right now may, maybe Luke knew their name and for some reason he just chose to withheld it or maybe he just heard about them and he forgot their name I, I don't know like I've I've questions about why he doesn't name them I, I have no idea but I, I think the important thing to remember is the Lord knows your name right yeah, like right. the Lord knows who you are and knows what you're doing like yep. I, I can't remember if I've shared this story on a podcast but I'm getting old and I retell stories so I'm gonna <laughs> risk telling the welcome beginning. to the club bro. Yeah. but I was reading about this um I think he was a seminary professor and and one of the exercises he had in the class was he asked the students, the first day of class, he says, okay, how many of you can name all eight of your great grandparents by name? And in all the years he's done it, he's never had anyone be able to name all eight of their great grandparents by name. And, or at least that's the understanding I got from the story that I was reading. And he, then the next thing he says is, he says, within a couple of generations, you will be forgotten. Mm. But just remember, the Lord knows your name, mm. um, and that, that that's sobering to think about. On the one hand, like that, um, you know, my my kids will obviously know my name, and my grandkids will probably know who I am. But there's there's a real good chance that my great grandchildren won't even remember what my name was. Right. Um, Yet the Lord knows our name, right? And so right. I think there is an encouragement here that you don't have to be Barnabas, like it, you know, you don't have to be this guy who goes down as one of the great all-time encouragers in the history of the church, right. To be something like sometimes you can just be the guys from Cyprus and Cyrene that Luke doesn't even name, and the Lord can still use you. Right. And so I, I, there is some, I, I found some encouragement in that, just to think there's something about being anonymous that's helpful, right? And just to be steady, constant
1: and just serve the Lord where he has placed you, right? Yeah. Whether you've been given five talents, two talents, or, or one talent. Be faithful with what the Lord has given you and just serve him well in that, right?
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. yeah, that's a good word. So what I think you mentioned two things at the beginning. What was the other one that you mentioned or maybe?
1: No, I think you, we, I, the Antioch. Oh, got we, it. We've covered that part there in just, that whole idea of, yeah, I've always wondered if Christian was a derogatory term or not. And, yeah. You know, it, whatever it was, they embraced it for all that it's worth, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and obviously, like that name is carried on till today. It right. only appears, if I'm correct, three times in the book of Acts, which interesting. is interesting. Uh, most of the time they're they're called something else like followers of the way or, right. um, you know, they, they don't get that nickname. It's, it's, it's interesting that that's the name that's carried forward, but nevertheless, like this is where it comes into play. Right. right. The other thing that's probably worth talking about here, and maybe we can even spring this board this a little bit into some current events, but verse 27 to 30. Yeah. Um, as you think about the church, just giving, um, there's this fame in this coming, Agabus the prophet predicts, so the disciples determine everyone according to his ability to send relief. What, what sticks out to you about that? You know, I think
1: it's not, it's not so much about Agabus, is it? I think it's more about right. the... I, Agabus is just in the background. Right, he's just in the background. He's just a name that is mentioned. I think the main point is that there was there was a need in the church, the greater church, you know, the universal church, and the local churches rose up and helped other churches out. I, I mean, I think that's, that's the main message. And I and I think it's interesting that, you know, it's not a famine, but you think about what's going on in the world and what's going on in the Ukraine. Right. And just this, just terrible injustice and just a tragic thing that is happening. And to, to read this on Sunday and yet you know, I couldn't help think about our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine and think about the churches in Ukraine. I mean, we know, I mean, our church before my time, you know, our church went to the Ukraine and supports a pastor, uh, Pastor Yuri in Ukraine, you know, that, that there are pastors and missionaries and brothers and sisters in Christ who may be displaced. Maybe some of the people that were fleeing the country or in bomb shelters or in the subway, you know, and like I mean, that was convicting. Like, what do we do? Like, yes, I mean, we, we, I've prayed a lot for the Ukraine in that situation lately, but I do think that when you read this and to see how the church raises up to help other churches when they are in need, does make me think there are, I'm sure there are multiple, multiple, multiple churches in the Ukraine Yeah. that are going to be in need. And what do we do? How do we respond?
0: Yeah, I read this article this week, I think it was on Gospel Coalition, where a pastor in Ukraine was talking about how he's processed what's going on. And and basically, the question that he was kind of thinking through was, like, do I go or do I stay? Mm-hmm. And mm. um, What a choice, right? For him, it, well, for him, it didn't seem like it was much of a choice. It was stay. Mm. He said, if, if the gospel can't be a help... Like at the quote, and I'm I'm paraphrasing here, and I'm probably not doing justice to it. But he basically said, if the gospel is not a help in times of crisis, then I'm not sure how it's going to be a help in times of peace. Oh wow! And so he's like, where else are we going to go? We're going to wow. stay, and we're going to teach, we're going to share Christ with people, and there's going to be people who are hurting, and people who are losing family members, and um, obviously there's not a zero a percent chance that he'll lose his life either, right? Um, right. But he, you know, I I think of that, and I think. I, I don't know. Sometimes I just think we're kind of wimpy um, as American Christians, and not, right. I'm kind of wimpy as an American Christian. That you know, for him, like I do think we most of us, and, and there's probably nothing wrong with asking the question: Should we flee as a country is invading us? Right? But for him, it wasn't really a choice. It's like let's just stay. Like this is this is where the hope is. Like where we're going to have gospel opportunities here more than anywhere um, right. to minister to people who are hurting. So, yeah, I think there definitely is. At the very least, we have to ask the question, right? And now I'll say this sometimes it's hard to figure out, like, okay, well, how do we actually help with that need? Like, how do we know that what we're giving to is actually a legitimate church that's preaching the gospel and not one that's Mormon or. Yeah, you know whatever else, right? Like, how do how do we know that we're giving to a legitimate cause that will actually help to spread the gospel? And so I understand that it's it's really hard to track down information in cases like this and figure out well where is the right place to give or where is the right place to think about sending relief or how do we do that? But at the very least, I think we have to ask that question, right, in light of Absolutely. what's going on here. Absolutely. That there's this famine that you know I I think you could probably make the argument in the first century being 310 miles away is probably the equivalent of the distance between us and Ukraine, right? Like, I mean, right. it's just that sure. far away, I would sure. think. Right. Um, maybe there is more crossover than we would have with Ukraine, although we've had people from our church go to the Ukraine. So, I don't know. I, I think at the very least we have to ask the question, like, what can we do to help? Um, right. And I think we ask that as individuals, and I think even as a church we should be asking, like, Absolutely. is there something we can do to help Ukrainian Absolutely. believers here? Um, and again, I, I I will admit, like the challenge is figuring out what that is, right. and doing it in a way that you feel comfortable, you know, right. s- sending money or whatever. But it feels like that's at least a question we have to ask, right? And and to not forget,
1: right? Like. We don't know how long this conflict is going to last. We don't know how long. It seems
0: possible it could last for years, right? Right. I mean, maybe it'll be over sooner, but it could last for years, right? Right. So to not forget, I think is important. Right,
1: because I think there's a shock and awe. I mean, I've never seen anything like this happen in my lifetime. So I think there's just this immediate, like, it's on the forefront of our minds. And, you know, we are diligently praying. But I think the important thing is, I mean, it's like anything in the media, right? Like, this is going to be... The hot story for a while until the next hot story comes along and all the attention is given to that where this may still be going on whether the whether the the conflict ends quickly or not the repercussion of this is gonna be years right yeah no There's, matter especially depending on how things unfold it but absolutely right yeah. so not to, to not forget you know one not to forget to pray Um, because I think scripture makes it very clear that we are to pray for one another and lifting each other up and, and to know that you, right. We may not know how to support Ukrainian churches and Ukrainian believers right now, but to know that there may be a day come and to not lose sight of that day. And when that day comes that we say, okay, here's a means by which either individually or as corporately as a church that we can come alongside and say, Hey, we're going to answer the call and we're going to send relief. We're going to send the need. We're going to send you know, whether it's money or Bibles or I don't know, whatever it is that they may need that we can send it to the right places and that we know it will be used in the right way.
0: Right. So let me, let me take a step back and, and now we're getting a little bit away from Acts 11, but I think that's okay. In light of what's going on, like, like as a Christian, like I want to think about this from a distinctly Christian worldview Um Meaning, like, I don't want to think about it like as an American citizen. I want to think about this as a Christian. Like, how, how are you processing what's going on in the conflict with Russia and Ukraine? Like, how are, how are you thinking through that as a Christian? As you, as you put your Christian worldview on and you think through your lens of our relationship with Christ is the most important thing. How are you thinking about this particular conflict?
1: Yeah, you know, that's a great question. I mean, I think that God loves justice and i think what's happening in ukraine is completely unjust i think it's evil i think it's wicked mm. um and so it makes me it makes me very very sad to see this sort of injustice taking place yeah um to see innocent people being attacked with no real from what i can read and ascertain no they weren't provoking you know ukraine was not provoking russia um and so like it makes it hard like I want to be really mad at Putin. Like, um, I think he's pretty evil. Um, and yet Putin needs Jesus, right? I mean, he's acting out in his sinful depravity in this and wickedness. Um, and so I've been processing that too, you know, um, it, I mean, it does, it does make me sad to see this injustice taking place. And, you know, I do believe that like, you know, we do have a God that is a God of peace. Um, and and so just knowing that, and we have a god that's a god of freedom, right? I mean, Russia's infringing on Ukrainians' freedom, um, and and so yeah, so it's been it's been like, like I, at the first I was like, is this really happening? Like it was almost like this disbelief, right, sort of thing. And it is. It, it I think what's hard is it does feel so far removed and far away, and. Um, and yet you see these pictures and images and you read the headlines and you're like, oh, wow, this is, it, it can become over a little bit overwhelming. Um, I mean, I think it has like inspired me to like, I don't like, I don't think I probably pray as globally as I should. Right. And you know, it, cause I think a lot of times my prayers can get hung up with me, my struggles or my family. You know, it can be really small. Like, sure. I think this has really pushed my bounds to say, "Hey, I need to remember to be praying globally." There's probably other places in the world I need to be praying for believers um, outside of the Ukraine. But I don't know; those are a lot of thoughts. They're all kind of jumbled together. They don't really make sense. But what about you? How have you been processing these things?
0: Well, I like so one, one thing I hear you saying there is. I think there is a. I think it's okay to lament, mm-hmm. like and to say the world's broken and. We hate that this is the way it is. We hate that there's war. We hate that there's conflict. We hate that there's people who are being attacked and killed. And who knows what else is happening? Wars is often breeding ground for the worst of humanity in terms of this stuff that's going on. Right. And obviously there's just a challenge for us to get accurate information on what's going on. But I think there is a legitimate I think it's okay to lament and just say this. This is this is not good. Like I don't. I don't like that there's injustice in the world. I don't like that there's war. I don't like that there's people who are dying, and you know a lot of them are dying without knowing Christ. Like there's eternity at stake. Right. So I think there's that. I think there is a. There's reason to trust God, though. Um, hmm. The the, I don't know. We're prisoners of the moment, um, but we forget that conflict has been since Genesis three, the world's been kind of messed up. And when I say kind of messed up, I mean, messed up. Right. And so this, this is nothing new under the sun. Um, I think we, we tend to, I don't know, we run the hyperbole like, Oh, you know, this is unprecedented. Like, well, I, yeah, I get that every situation is different and, and therefore by definition, it's unprecedented. But at the same time, like nations have been fighting against nations for a long time. right? And yet like, and that's why, you know, I, I, selected Psalm 2 yesterday to have you read before the um, during the announcement section like why did the nations rage and the people's plot in vain right the Lord is in heaven right and and he he knows what he's doing and so I think there is a confidence here that you know I, I think it would be easy for us to run to like okay what if this conflict expands beyond Ukraine? What if they start taking over other European nations? What if they drop a nuclear bomb? What if that means that they have nuclear war in the United States? What does that mean for us? Like, right? And you know, I'm not saying those things have a zero percent chance of happening either. Those right. things could happen, but I'm not sure what good it does to run there other than to say we trust that God is on His throne, and so I think there should be there should be a confidence that we have that that there is not one thing that's happening that God is not unaware, or there's not one thing that happens that God is unaware of. Um, and that he is orchestrating all things for his glory. And so I, I think the the easy thing to do would be to try to rest in like political action or rest in like, let's trust our leaders do the right thing. And I would just say, based on the history of the world, what would give you confidence? They'll do the right thing. Like, is it not far better to trust that God will just, know what he's doing and he does know what he's doing and he's going to work this out. And so I think there is a, I think it has caused me to reflect more on God's goodness and his sovereignty and to rest in that. Um, And then I I think too of Ukrainian believers, like I remember Mick Shabolt telling me stories where um, I think he shared this recently with our gospel community group leaders where the Ukrainian, I don't know if it was pastor or someone else came over to visit and he just told Mick, you know, I, I feel sorry for American Christians. Like, they don't know how to depend on God. And so, right. you know, I think there's there's a sense where you'd have to say, well, Ukrainian believers have had to lean on God in ways that we haven't, and they're maybe more equipped to handle this than we would be. Like, and so I don't even know what to do with that other than just to reflect on the fact that I don't know, sometimes we're we're quick to dismiss the depth of believers in other places and, and just realize like they probably have some steadfastness that maybe we lack. Right. And so I guess, I guess what I'm getting at is maybe we should be quick to listen and learn from the Ukrainian believers mm. as they handle this too. Right. And not just think like, we're going to parachute in and help. Like, it's, it's possible, in fact, maybe even likely that we'll have more to learn from them than they'll be helped by us. Sure. And so I think we probably need to have our ears open to learn from them too. Yeah. So, I don't that's know. Good. Those are some of the things I've been processing.
1: Yeah, that's good.
0: Well, on that sober note, I guess we'll end Acts eleven today. I I will say this. Acts twelve is really interesting. It's um, a fun chapter. There's, there's a done, lot that goes on. So there. next week is one to twenty. And you have two pretty radically different stories. And I think actually that's kind of the beauty of Acts twelve that you have Peter miraculously rescued from prison and James killed. Right. And what do you make of that as a Christian? Uh, right. It's it's pretty fascinating that the two are set back-to-back. And in fact, the reason why I think most um, most people I've seen who've preached through Acts or who have commented on Acts have put these two sections together, I think there's a reason they're back-to-back. Right. So we'll dive and, more into that next week. And a
1: servant girl named Rhoda, right? In the middle of it all.
0: Well... That is a bizarre story but that, that's that's something we'll get to next week so there's a lot to a lot to dive into looking forward to talking about this passage next week but in the meantime let me encourage you especially in the midst of the global conflict that's going on and the upheaval that's probably present in your own life too to keep looking to Christ yeah. keep trusting his word he is he's so- on the throne he is sovereign he knows what he's doing right have a good week